you're always, me personally, always afraid of failure and keeping going. And so to feel like I've arrived and I have it all down and figured it out to me is a scary place to be because then you quit growing and you lose a little bit of humility of just like, man, I've always got something better to do and improvement on myself. And so, I mean, I know what I'm doing now for sure and feel very confident when I tell people, you know, this is a good decision. This is a good buy. This is a good lease. Very confident when I say that. But I mean, I still want to keep growing. For sure. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. Hey, guys, it's Chris. Thank you for joining me for another episode of The Fort. Excited to have a great friend of mine, uh, somebody that I've worked with at Fort Capital and uh, in other capacities with me today, Sarah Lancart. Sarah and I got to know each other, I don't know, four or five years ago. Um, We've had a great relationship. We've done a lot of real estate work together. We've built a friendship. We've worked together. And now she owns her own business, Lancart Commercial. And now we get to share discussions about what it's like running a business. So I asked Sarah to join me today. Sarah is one of the most talented people in the industry and somebody that I look up to. So thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yep. We got the headphones on and everything. (laughs) Can we just start with just kind of a little background on kind of your story and how you got to where you are today? Sure. So I've been in commercial real estate officially for 10 years. Um, Got my license while in college, but started into the business right after right after graduating from Auburn University back in 2010. And knew early on, like even during college, that I wanted to get into commercial real estate. But to be honest with you, I had no clue, idea what that meant. Um, so I joined the Auburn Real Estate Club, which sounds really dorky, yeah. but one of the best decisions that I made because... Through that, I was able to meet a lot of people, so bringing in speakers to speak to our organization and then following up with them to drive to Atlanta to go meet with them to pick their brain on what they did from commercial banking, from brokerage to development. And then, you know, during that time of picking people's brains, really kind of determined based on my personality that brokerage to me, sounded like the best fit, even though I really didn't understand what a commercial broker was. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then from there, I went and met with as many brokers in Atlanta, because that was the closest big city to Auburn, and met with guys from Cushman and Wakefield, CB, JLL, smaller boutique firms, and really learned I knew nothing and picked their brains, but started to pick up on the lingo, get tips from different people. So then when I came back to, you know, Dallas Fort Worth where I knew I wanted to come back after college, I had already kind of knew the lingo and um what area I wanted to focus on, which was industrial. Um oh, yeah. and learned that through really the people that I was meeting in Atlanta when they would ask me, okay, well do you want to do office? Do you want to do industrial? Do you want to do retail? I'm like, I have no clue. I just want a job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And 
I started to formulate a story of why industrial. I grew up around it. My dad had manufacturing businesses. I knew what cranes were, which most females, especially in college, like I have no idea what a bridge crane is yep. and dock doors. And so it naturally was a fit. And then Jerry Alexander, who was the best industrial broker in the Fort Worth market when I was graduating school, I sought him out and I knew I wanted to work with him, even though he didn't quite know (laughs) that that I was going to work there. I met with him three times and he shot me down and kept sending me to his competition. Like, oh, why don't you go meet with them? And so I did. Yeah. But then kept following up with him. I said I wanted to work with you and he um, he gave me a shot. And, And then then the rest is history. I mean, it's a long road from that first week of starting out, you know, working with him to where I am today. But, you know, I will never. So Jerry's passed away since um, and he was my mentor, but he's the one who gave me that shot to get into the business. And I'm forever grateful. Yep. If you'll get to know this on the the episode, but Sarah is very, very persistent and it's what's made her super successful. And you liked industrial before industrial was cool to like. Now it seems like it's all the rage in real estate, but you've liked it since maybe before it was as cool as it was today. Uh, May not have known better, but yeah. (laughs) I've I've actually probably never met somebody that that loves industrial as much as you do. Um, And it's why it's been super successful. So you start with Jerry. What's like the first couple years look like? What kind of early on did you do to kind of start separating yourself from the pack? So the first couple of years were awful, to be honest with you. Um, You know, you're, you're given a business card and a phone and I say awful, just they're hard, you know, it's, it's not as easy as you think they weren't. I mean, it wasn't like I was not being treated fairly. It was just difficult. And I say this business is not rocket science, but it is, does require a lot of hard work. So Jerry, was providing me mentorship through like, you know, answering questions, teaching me about leases, teaching me about what to do. But it's up to you to go and and find the business and and bring it in. And luckily, with my dad being in industrial and in sales, he's like, well, Sarah, you just need to go make a lot of cold calls. Yeah. And I didn't know what else to do. And so those first couple of years, I always tell everyone I went through a lot of heels. Yeah. Um, I would just go door to door. I'd print out 50 flyers and go building to building to building, get shot down a lot. There might have been a few tears in those couple of years. Yeah. Like, what the heck am I doing? I have two degrees yeah. and I'm getting kicked out of a plumber's, you know, or whatever it is yeah. um, office. But just sticking with it and seeing, you know, the the best thing that could happen, you can make 20 calls in one day or 50 calls in one day and all of them go bad, but you have one good one and it makes the whole day worth it. Um, And so that's what I would do. And Jerry, every time he got a coupon to DSW, would put it on my desk and tell me, go buy new shoes. Your shoes look awful. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's kind of the story. Yeah. One, what did the flyers say? I mean, I create all all different sorts of things, um, just trying to create, think of, you know, if I were a business owner, what, what information would help me and my business? So whether it's a building for sale or for lease nearby or information that they could use in the market or about material handling, you know, kind of new trends, 
you know, whatever it was, yep. trying to think in the owner's shoes, you know, what would be helpful for them to know. And then, you know, so going and, and educating them on what I felt I could educate them on pertaining to real estate. Yeah. And then also, um, you know, part of the success was just being persistent. Yeah. You know, you get three doors slammed in your face and maybe the fourth time they'll open yep. or maybe it's the 20th time, oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have to learn to get comfortable cold calling or was it something that was just natural to you from because I feel like uh, your point of like the first two years are tough, like they're you second guess yourself a lot because it's a lot of no's and you're on commission. You know, I think it's something we've always shared is like the desire to cold call it gets stuff done. But a lot of people, they're uncomfortable doing it. They don't want to do it a lot. No being rejected 50 times a day uh, feels bad. So like. Did you have to learn to get good at it or was it always natural? No, it was not always natural. Yeah. It's just sticking to it. The more you do it, the better you become. Yep. It's like within like a sport, you know, the more you practice, the better you become. Um, you learn what to say. You learn what not to say. You learn how to approach different people in different positions and different personalities. Yeah. And you kind of just hone in and, and refine, you know, your expertise of what you say and what you do. Yeah. So yeah, no, I mean, I mean, there are times, I mean, I remember breaking down at a gas station, like I'm about to quit yeah. um, just because the door kept getting slammed in my face and, um, and, you know, but just keeping with it. And then eventually it becomes fun, you know, yeah. I mean, and you learn to blow off people that are, you know, you never know what people are going through that day too. Yeah. And people can be just, lose a big cell and they really don't want to deal with someone walking in the door to sell them yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is so yeah and you learn to take people's different perspective and maybe i hit them on a bad day i'm just going to come back in a week was there a point in time where you kind of felt like all right i've arrived in the commercial real estate industry like all right i'm past the the two years was it you finally had enough business going on and leads that your your days felt busier or was there a deal that happened or was there just like a moment in time that you felt like all right i'm here to stay and i'm gonna fucking crush it <laughs> no i mean to be honest with you i mean it's always i was having this conversation with someone today you know you're always me personally always afraid of failure and keeping going and so to feel like i've arrived and i have it all down and figured yeah. it out to me is a scary place to be yep because then you quit growing For sure. and you lose a little bit of humility of just like, man, I've always got something better to do and improvement on myself. And so, I mean, I, I know what I'm doing now for yeah. sure and feel very confident when I tell people, you know, this is a good decision. This is a good buy. This is a good lease. Very confident when I say that, that what I'm telling them, you know, for sure is. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I'm, I still want to keep growing. For sure. <laughs> no, you said it great that arriving to that point, uh, you never actually get to that point. But maybe, you know, it seems like there's a tipping point for a lot of people early on, especially when you're in commission where it's like, all right, I'm, I'm, I've am i made it through the... the, the well, okay. So maybe there's one. So it, Here is we a go. Boy, it is a boy's world yeah. or man's world a little bit. Yeah. And those first couple of years, it's hard getting all the the guy club to call you back to yep. get the guys in the office to like think you're gonna make it versus yep. wash out and so eventually you know people return your calls 
people respond to your emails. Yep. Just those things of a trust and know that you're going to make it, you know, and there there is a time and even maybe not even a female thing or male thing, but, you know, the rookie starting out, getting all the brokers, you know, even the brokerage community itself to respond yep. can sometimes be a chore in itself. For sure. <laughs> what was your first deal that you closed? It was over off of uh, Barry Street. Um, what is that? East Barry. Yeah. Definitely not the best part of town. Yeah. And it was Little Meadow Building. And actually, Jerry gave me like the lead on it. So I can't take full credit for it. But yeah, that commission check, I have a copy of it still. You do. <laughs> it was like four grand, but for an entire year of, or like six months of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> About a dollar an so, hour worth yeah. of work. Well, I know. Um, that over the years before we met, uh, just having been in the industry, I kept hearing, um, you got to work with Sarah. You got to work with Sarah. Just, I think I told you the first time I met you, was like, you're a total killer. And you were like, I'm a what? And I was like, oh, that's what I call people that are just totally killing it in the game. And I had just, I kept hearing the name over and over. And I think that's when we met probably four or five years ago, between when you started when did you kind of become your own team? Like you were kind of self-sufficient. You weren't getting leads from other people, but it was kind of your now game to play. So early on, I mean, that that happened. Um, and I'm not taking for granted anything that was like given to me and people yeah. who helped me. But I took the initiative early on to go out there and do it on my own. Yeah. Um, and people helped me all along the way. For sure. And multiple people. But, you know, I'm proud of myself and the fact that that I built my book of business, that it wasn't ever really handed to me, you know, from early on. And it took a while. I mean, that's that was the cold calling. But I, I wasn't expecting someone to hand me a deal. I was out there finding them myself and um, took a lot of hard work and a while to to get going, but it was the best way possible because then you're self-sufficient. Um, we're, we're, am I getting this right? What year were you the number one producer at Transwestern? Oh gosh. Um, so it wasn't on it mean, at, at, in the Fort Worth in office. The Fort Worth office. Um, and then in top in the Dallas Fort Worth, but uh, geez, I don't know. So that 2000 and it started happening like, from 14, ma making kind of the top list all the way until I left. So I was the youngest person to be named partner nationally, and I was at 28. Oh, my. So that was, what, six years after you had started in the business? Mm hmm And, wow, that's when I started hearing about Sarah. Uh, it's about 2014. Um, so we can talk about Transwestern. Um, I just think it would be interesting to just talk about kind of how um, I got to know Sarah better was uh, Fort Capital was really looking to kind of get into the commercial world, had a really keen interest in industrial and just naturally speaking, I wanted to go after the best in the business. And we chatted for a while and got to know each other. And we ended up, uh, you ended up coming over to Fort and basically helping us launch our whole commercial business, maybe speak a little bit to um, how going from the broker side to the principal side, what, what changed there? What did, what new tools did you figure out? What did you not like? Like it's, I think it's a big shift. There's a lot of people in brokerage that want to go necessarily on the principal side. 
But I think sometimes you get there and you realize there's a lot of, to love about being a broker too. Yeah. No, I mean, so to be honest with you, and I think we've had these conversations with several, but I was, you know, really content. I wasn't ha- looking for anything, wasn't planning to make any switch. And we talked for a long time about, you know, what that would look like. And I knew I could continue doing exactly what I was doing probably for the rest of my career and yeah. be content, but also wasn't, it was probably going to look very similar. Yeah. And I was ready for a new challenge and, and ready to, um, expand my knowledge and always keep growing. And that's, and it was a great opportunity. And it's always admired you and, and how smart you are. And, and I think you have the kill factor too. Yeah. And I think that's why, um, you know, it was a good combination. Yeah. Um, and came over to Fort and I think we kicked butt. We, mm-hmm. we, we grew and expanded the platform and I learned a ton and I think you learned a ton for me. And, oh yeah. um, and, and that's what it's about. I mean, Maybe it's not, you know, a forever thing, yeah. in which in our case it wasn't. But yeah. at the same point, we were both able to learn so much from each other yep. and and continue to grow both, you know, personally, professionally in our companies. And that's what really launched me. You know, if I had gone straight from Transwestern to start Landcart, I don't know if I would be as well Equip. I I know I want enough. Yeah. Um, having been at a big corporation versus coming to you know a smaller company that's growing, that you see the good and the bad and yeah. everything and and learn from that and then also have a mentor that you can come back to. Speaking of you, yeah. Um, you know to to talk about you know the issues and things and and we do that now and it's it's I love a it. great relationship. Yeah, Sarah. Uh, joined us and um, we did not really own any commercial at all. Uh, and within two years, we had a pretty substantial industrial portfolio. Basically, I learned the whole industrial world through you. Uh, I knew I wanted to be in it, but I didn't necessarily know what all that meant. Just kind of like everything, you just got to learn as you go. Sarah and I realized longer term, it was probably best that we maintain a great relationship, but she had a real desire to start her own deal. And since she left, I think we've worked, I think pretty much every deal in Fort Worth is with Sarah. <laughs> you left to start Landcart Commercial. So let's just talk about that for a second. So um, top producing broker on the principal side, working with us, learning the nuance of small business and everything. And then you go on to launch your own small business. Uh, let's just walk through that journey a little bit. What was, uh, what was it like maybe those first couple of months? Yeah, so the first couple of months, I mean, man, you're you're your own marketing part, department, your accounting, your all the above, and and trying to juggle all the business and keeping things going. So it was a lot. And um, luckily, I was able to get Lori, who works with us now, that we'd worked together for a long time at Transwestern, and she was over with another development company, and get her to come over. So she was the first employee, and we officed in a little office with our desk back to each other and then kind of grew out of that space into a little bit larger space in the same building when we had our next person join us and and now we're at 10 people and I it's been it. two years well september will be two years wow. um but also being cognizant of how we grow and with the right people and you know something that you always preach and it is a true thing is creating a culture and people you love to work with and, and a team environment where we're all helping each other. And, and that is something that I wanted to create, you know, versus going back to another large firm and not having, you know, nothing 
bad if it's going to a large firm, but I wanted to create this environment, um, which is really difficult in the brokerage world yeah. of a collaboration and sharing and talking about deals and helping each other. And, you know, because there's so much collaboration that can occur and allow so many more deals when people feel comfortable that someone's not going to go steal their deal. Yep. Um, and that's why it's so important for the people that join our team and this trust. And, you know, I interview everybody, but whole, so does the whole team. And, yeah. um, you know, I've had people tell me, well, that's a huge mistake, Sarah, you know, you ultimately need to decide. And yes, but at the same point, it's not just up to me. It's up to our whole team yeah. and the culture we're creating. And the last thing you want to do is bring someone in that no one else trusts. Yep. And, you know, then it, then it all falls apart. And sure. So being very cognizant of that, um, but we're having a great time. I mean, I love this business and yeah, I think I that's part of the reason of the success is that I, I dream about real estate. Yeah. I love talking about it and I want to share what I know and what's helped me in my career with other people and to grow a company together. And so that's what we're doing. And we're having a really good time yep. and working really, really hard yep. and hope just to continue the momentum. I have so many things I want to ask there. Uh, the first would just be, um, it's one thing to be a broker. It's another thing to run a business and be a broker. How do you think about that? Like, how do you split your time between it's time to like run the business versus it's time to be a broker or do you outsource running the business to somebody else or how does it all work? Cause to your point, you're always out making deals happen. I've never met somebody that hustles as hard as you do. I've also met, never met somebody that gets as much shit done as you do. How do you get it all done? It's a good question. <laughs> I work a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there is only so many hours in the day. Yeah. And and you got to keep up with your health and your family and all of that. That's all important. For sure. Um, so we outsource portions of it. You know, from accounting, I'm we have a coach. He coaches me, he coaches everybody else. He also is kind of an accountability versus me having to always do that. Yep. Um, and, and also he acts as a sounding board for the office. Um, you know, I, I do feel like everyone is comfortable, you know, sharing things, but at the same point, I'm not naive to the sense that, you know, people are also sometimes the owner of the company or who, you know, yeah. so, you know, most of that, I mean, um, and we have team meetings and we're talking about things together and we're a small group now and I have a lot of help. You know, I think everybody in the office, you know, carries weight too. And we have a motto of, you know, if it's even not, you're not in your job description and, and someone's hands are full, you know, pick up the slack and help. And yep. I know that's a pretty like basic thing and, yeah. but, but resonates and it is true in our office of just um with a small company everybody's got to pitch in and help yep so the you said you hired like a consultant or an accountability coach that helps keep like new brokers coming on board they kind of report to him as far as like a training program to to learn the business yeah and and, and with me as well yeah yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. Are there specific consultants that just do that type of work like help brokerages get set up yeah yeah cool. yeah what do you tell like a new broker kind of coming in? I mean, I'm sure we just talked a lot about it, which is like, you're going to be going through a lot of pairs of shoes, get ready for a ton of rejection. Um, how do you get someone like really excited about a career that, <laughs> that you're also telling them like, get ready for uh, a tough couple of years? <laughs> yeah, for the suck. <laughs> Embrace the suck. Yep. Um, yeah, I worry that I sometimes like wear people out about 
you got a cold call, you got a cold call, yeah. you got a cold call. Um, but I know it's so true and I know it works. Yep. Technology has not gotten rid of a good cold call. Yeah, you just gain so much information. But again, someone may not have to go make 50 cold calls a day because they have a different strategy and they can connect with people this way. Um, I can only tell them what's worked for me yep. and um, how it worked. And I mean, we've got someone who can who can <laughs> write a fantastic letter yep. and get in the door. And it's incredible. I mean, he's got like 100 percent hit rate. I mean, he sends us like, you know, and and so he's not making necessarily as many calls as like going door to door. Yeah. But writing is not my skill. And like. Yep. I would probably get like a zero hit yeah. rate if I wrote a letter. I mean, I'd be like, this girl's like yeah. spelling is <laughs> awful. So, yep. you know, it just all depends on, I don't think there's like one set way, but I know what worked for me yep. and if I can help there. Um, I feel like great brokers are worth their weight in gold and bad brokers get in the way and can make deals not happen purely because of bad communication. Like in your mind, what makes a great broker and what makes a bad broker? Mm, and there's there's a lot of a lot of things you could you know point out specifically, but I mean communication. Our job is is to help communicate and to help create a deal, yeah, um, and get it done, and you know, ideally have both parties happy. You know, depending on who you're representing, but ideally is is for both parties to walk away feeling good about the deal. Yep. I think the worst thing you could do is not communicate. And, yeah. you know, there are a lot of times, you know, hard calls that we have to make or deal points that aren't going to go in someone's favor that you just have to rip off the Band-Aid and get it done and sure. return people's calls. Or, you know, if 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 you're not getting it done you know, why and provide good feedback um, and just, you know, be honest with people. Yep. So, I mean, I think the biggest things is, I mean, it comes back to the basics. Like it's not, this is not a rocket science job, but doing the right, the small things right, you know, communicating with people, doing the right thing and the ethical thing. And, and sometimes you'll be in a position where you're not necessarily sure, you know, which direction to go, but trusting your gut, relying on your mentors. Um, you know, I've had situations where I've gone to two different mentors and they both had different advice. Yep. And then you rely on your gut that you're doing the right thing and communicating that with your clients. And and sometimes it might not go the way, but, you know, later I had a deal. I mean, this one I'm specifically and I, I didn't know what to do. And it was kind of in an ethical situation and, you know, go to my mentors, ask them what to do, getting advice on different ends made a decision and ultimately they were really upset with me at the time my client but a month later called and apologized and profusely was like you did the absolute right thing yeah. we want to work with you on the next deal and and you just sometimes got to trust your gut and just do the right thing yeah um what's like is and there... then like i mean you actually got to work yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so like the words is like putting your sign up on a property and just expecting calls. I mean, then you got to go make call cold calls. You got to do, you know, you got to market the property. Our yep. job is the owner could put their sign up on the property and take calls. You know, they're asking you to go and, and actively market the property yep. and calling on people, 
thinking about the best tenants for the building or buyers for the building and calling all of them. I mean, yep. it's just the basics, but sometimes, unfortunately, people don't always work it. Do you keep all your contacts in like a certain CRM or how do you keep, you know, everybody? Like, how do you keep it all organized to where you know who to call and uh, keep it kind of fresh? Yeah, I mean, we use a CRM and, you know, try to keep that updated. It's an ongoing battle. I mean, it's just yeah. sometimes you're getting so busy and you forget, but it, the more organized you are, the better. Yep. We'll get into the market here in a little bit. Uh, one more kind of question just on on business. Uh, how do y'all think about working more as a team and collaborating that's kind of different from the rest of the industry? Is it something in particular you do? Is it just the type of people that you hire? Is there certain rules or like, how do you kind of create that team spirit? So we meet twice a week as a team. You know, we're talking about deals, we're collaborating, we're talking about other deals that are in the market that maybe someone outside of our office is working on and how we can approach them and try to turn that into some, you know, something for our team to work on and really thinking and sharing, you know, I think it starts from the top down. And if, if I, don't share. And if I like, I, you know, kind of keep your deals to yourself. keep my deals to myself, that creates an environment for the rest of the office. Yep. Um, I think that's something we talked about at Fort, yeah. you know, from what I, you know, before. Um, and that's, that's not my nature and yep. I don't want to do that. And so just always being cognizant. I mean, people see my calendar, they see what we're doing yeah. and talking about everything we're working on and it's creating this trust and, hoping that that people honor that and and that's why you know bringing on the right people and the right team is so important yeah and then you know if if it isn't yeah you know making the decision after that yeah that's a hard decision (laughs) yeah um so getting into a little bit about kind of covid i i i was talking to johnny who does all of my podcasts we we got to meet really early on in march and i was coming in for podcasts and we were just debriefing and uh, the world was pretty scary the end of March and the first week of April. But as I look through the f- the very few people, and I can count them on one hand, that kind of just kept optimistic, you were one of them. I think you were in our office one day, or maybe we were on the phone. I can't even remember. And I was just like, well, what are you going to do? And you're like, just kind of keep trying to make it happen. <laughs> and uh, even I think I saw you in the parking lot a couple of days later, maybe you were showing our building or something. and same thing. You're just kind of like, you weren't showing that maybe you were nervous or that you just kind of were like the same Sarah that's like, well, nothing's going to happen if I do nothing. The only way (laughs) something's going to happen is to keep going. So maybe just walk me through like early COVID, small business owner, just launched a business, not even two years old. What was life like maybe the first couple weeks kind of when things were in like really kind of shaky territory? There's a naive part that you're just like, you know, got to keep going, got to keep, you know, you got to pay the bills. The worst thing you could do is go and hide and wait when, yes, and I mean, but you got to be smart, you know, going out in COVID and just taking all the, you know, health precautions. But at the same point, you can't just go hide under a rock and wait for it to to end or you'll be left in the dust. Yeah. Um, And so we just took the strategy of, we're going to think about, again, it's, it's thinking creatively. It's thinking about, okay, what concerns are people having, you know, whether they're an owner, whether they're a tenant, 
and let's go try to solve them and help them how we can on the real estate front. Yep. And so early, early on, we had a team meeting and that's when we started. And so we used to just meet once as a team. And then we're like, we need to meet twice a team and let's weekly gather what's going on and let's create solutions and ideas of how we go and best help our clients. Yep. And so we never really let off the gas. If anything, we let, we, we fired up the engine and yeah, for full throttle. Yep. Um, because I mean, too, again, I always say, you know, what else are you going to do? Right. I mean, you just got to go and keep moving on. And so we've stayed positive and, you know, also being there for our clients, you know, relaying what we're hearing. And, you know, honestly, it wasn't all that bad. Yeah. I mean, People knew that we're going to get through it. And there's, I mean, there is going to be, unfortunately, you know, some, some businesses that don't make it and people downsizing, but through that, you know, different, you know, even for them, it could be a growth opportunity later on and just to re a revamping period. So just trying to think differently of what we could do. You know, we couldn't go cold, call door to door because no one wanted to in their door. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And people weren't in the office to answer the phones. Yep. So so what are you going to do? And, and just, you know, okay, whether it's a mailer or, um, you know, different strategies and just thinking creatively and just being there for our clients. And in like a team meeting that y'all have, I'd imagine everybody's in the room and you kind of go person by person, like what's going on in your world? What do you need help with? What's successful? And everybody's just kind of sharing and or, pretty much. Yeah. 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 So what's going on right now as you see it, uh, we can talk about kind of Fort Worth in general. I know you touch different asset types across Fort Worth. I know industrial is your main focus, but just starting maybe on Fort Worth, just kind of thoughts as we come out of it. Like, what are you, what are you seeing? Yeah. I mean, again, I'm, I'm bullish and I'm typically a positive, a glass half full type of person. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely grateful to be here than versus other places in this country. Yeah. And I think, um, we're still going to see the net migration into the Dallas Fort Worth from other parts of the country. And this will probably even generate that more. I think overall, you know, things will get back to normal. You know, the industrial market really hasn't skipped a beat. You know, oil and gas is a different story and, and you're going to see some consolidation there and some downsizing. And part of that was for, you know, the oil and gas crisis, but also COVID, you know, ex- enhancing that issue. But generally, the and the industrial has been really strong. Um, the office market, I do think we're going to see more space come available on the market through subleases. Mm-hmm. And I think the office market is going to get hit the hardest of all asset classes. But again, I'd rather be here than other parts of yeah. New York City. Um, and I mean, what COVID did is really kind of expedite some of the trends that we were already seeing. Yep. And, you know, people, the work from home and kind of, what do you call it? Work, remote. Uh, remote. Yeah, remote working. And you were already seeing companies kind of dip their toes in it yeah but they were forced through covid to like dive right in and and they're seeing that it could work the majority are going that direction you know we've seen some that are wanting more space because they're needing the social distance more yeah but i would say the majority are trying to you know and a lot of the bigger corporations still haven't figured it out yet yeah they Um, have a lot more risk they have a lot more risk so people haven't gone back to their offices um you know some of the the really large companies aren't going back to the first of the year i've heard a few yeah 
And so people are just, you know, we don't really know exactly what it's going to look like yet, but um, the office market, in my opinion, is going to be hit the most. You know, again, I'm, I think people are moving away from downtown and large high rises as this is just a total personal opinion and what I'm seeing Yeah, is more of the millennial generation and you know, the generations coming up, you know, not wanting to work in high rise, maybe wanting to work in, you know, a space like the, in the river district or industrial space has been converted into office, but that's still in the urban core. Yeah. Um, but there's only so much of that yeah. and, and, you know, depending on costs and then the retail, you know, a lot of the closings that we've already heard about on like, regarding to restaurants were really already coming. Yeah. Um, and COVID just expedited those. I think you might see some more depending on how long this continues and if we have a second wave. But I think in general, the retail, depending on... The, so the big box is another story, but yeah. that was already happening. Yeah. Um, but your restaurants and nail salons and hair salons, I think most people see that this is a temporary thing and we'll we'll get a vaccine and things will go back to normal. Yeah. And so the longevity of retail, I mean, we've here in Fort Worth off of South Maine. I mean, we just did two large retail. One is a restaurant of 6,000 square feet. Wow. And then we did an 8,000 square foot retail space. Those will be announced soon, but all during COVID and wow. all new, new openings. So, wow. yeah. And we're working on some stuff here in the River District and close. So I, know. Um, I think people on the retail front, you know, depending on what it is, is see this as a short term deal. Well, maybe one question. Do you know of any, I've kind of been vocal lately that Fort Worth is, is, is not, if you're not from Fort Worth and you're just looking in at data, I think it's very skewed because it includes Alliance Texas, which is one of the fastest growing corporate hubs in the world, really in the world. But as I think about it as like the Fort Worth that we know, and then I think of like Pier 1's going out of bank, like the, the Pier 1 building downtown. Mm-hmm. Is there any office tenants in the market that maybe aren't just moving from one building to the other, but might actually be moving to Fort Worth that would take a big chunk of office. Have you heard of anything yet? There's one in the works. Um, like coming in first time to Fort Worth. That that I've heard. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not directly working on the deal, but I have heard of it. That's um, good. But there is not, to be honest with you, I mean, Pure One space will be, but you know, we keep hearing from the city of Fort Worth too in the chamber of um, requirements that are coming in and, and there isn't a bunch of, large blocks of space. Uh, the Encore, Encore is moving into 777 Main and their space is all going to be made available near enough Pier 1 and some other larger blocks. But, you know, 75,000 square feet and up, I don't think there's a lot of contiguous space available. Yep. yep. And then you mentioned big box mm-hmm. and there's going to be shopping malls that go out and you're a big industrial fan and there's components to malls and big box that mirror industrial. Do you have any like predictions about how we might see those reused going forward have you seen anything interesting happen with like a building conversion yet we've been working on a few i mean some of them are really tough um just because of location and functionality but there are some retail buildings that could work very well for as long as you can get the zoning for flex industrial or kind of office showroom um for example like we had the toys r us building on 30 for lease and we had a lot of industrial and that's the route we were going until a mega church came and 
gave us above ass. So then yeah. we sold it that way. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's some spaces, you know, the mall. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, you know, any good examples I've heard of around the country that have worked well. Yeah. And I, I can't none come to like the forefront. I mean, we've seen malls turn into kind of flex call center space and those are tough. Yep. Or at least in my experience, it's been really tough. Yeah. I think in certain parts of the country, it can work. But it'll be interesting to see. I mean, when retail is trading for less than industrial, the question is, is, you know, can it work? What can you do with it? And I think you'll see some repurposing of spaces, but some are going to be tough. Yeah. Um, just because they've had to build out like movie theaters. I mean, what do you do with an empty movie theater that has a slanted floor and yeah. um, cost a fortune to build. And yeah. um, I never thought about the slanted floor part. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Not a whole lot. That changes things quite a bit. In industrial, I was actually having this conversation on Twitter the other day, and maybe you can shine a little bit of light on it. But uh, Texas is great because we have tons of land and we can kind of keep spreading out and that's good for industrial. But you start getting into markets like, you know, L.A. and New York and Seattle where there's just not a bunch of industrial land. And I think there's been a conversation brewing for a while about multi-story industrial buildings or can you make the clear heights, you know, 80 feet so that you can stack more. But then the equipment's more expensive to to rack stuff and uh, forklifts are more expensive. Maybe just my question is, are we going to see maybe in the DFW market, are you seeing any of that innovation of, you know, taller buildings? Like what's going on? Is it is it all pretty much the, the what we've already known is what's going to be built for the foreseeable future? Are you seeing anything new coming in? Yeah. I mean, so in Seattle, I know, I mean, Prolog just built a two story and it made sense there because of land pricing and basically they had like a drive around truck court where the trucks could access the second level. Here in Dallas, Fort Worth, I mean, we still have affordable land, even though here, being from here and over the last 10 years, seeing where the prices have gone, at times we feel it's unaffordable, it's not affordable, but in general, we still have land, we can still develop. I don't see, you know, your typical warehouse being multi-level. I mean, we keep going up in clear height. I mean, that's the things that change in industrial, which is not much, you know, we go from 28 foot clear (laughs) to 32 foot clear and everyone's talking about it and why. And yeah. um, (laughs) But, you know, the cold storage industry, I mean, you're seeing them go higher and higher um, and it's all about skews and racking and, and, but in general, um, I don't think we'll see two story you know, typical warehouses anytime soon. And I bet I could be wrong, but I just, I, yeah. There's a lot of spec industrial going up around DFW. Is it all going to get filled up? Like, is the demand there? Or do you think there's a supply issue coming? Or it's like, we can't build it quick enough, keep building? I still feel that the demand is strong. Uh, and from what I'm in my daily day, daily operations and what I'm, you know, hearing and um you know from the tenant side and the tenant demand is is it still there and people are growing you know i think we are going to see some residual effects of covid that we haven't felt yet and of the oil and gas market down the line and it's going to be later yeah um maybe fourth quarter of this year or first quarter of next year because a lot of the companies 
we had COVID, they got PPP money, they've been able to go by. And then we might see, I think, some of the full effects we haven't seen yet. I don't think it's going to be like falling off a cliff. Yeah. It's funny what the, the market was back at. I can't remember what it was the other day. And then they called a recession. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. But in general, it still feels strong and it still feels like a lot of demand. And I mean, the amount of tenant rep deals we're working on and looking for space is still is still there. I mean, I think most of it will get absorbed. There's pockets around DFW where I think a lot of supply in a certain area all came online at one time. Yeah. And that leaves me a little bit of concern in certain areas. But in general, as the Metroplex as a whole, I feel like we're still in a good situation or yeah. position. And like the Class B space, call it, I don't know, suite size is smaller than... I don't know, say 20,000 feet. I know even when you get down is like to like 5,000 and smaller square feet. How far out are they typically? Like they're looking and they need to, like they're not out in the market two years in advance looking for space. Like what's the timeline that the typical small tenant is looking and needs to be in? Is it less than 90 days, less than six months? It's sometimes a week, yeah. Tomorrow. Or yesterday. And so be, just like, you know, one thing we've always talked about is just white boxing your space and having it ready to move in is such a needle mover from the competition. Um, people need to be in like yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a fan of shallow bay product, you know, which I call like less than 100,000 square feet, you know, our buildings that are 200,000 square feet and less because there's always going to be demand for that space. Um some of the bulk distributions, I mean, you could have a complete change in a model of like an Amazon, instead of having a million square feet, they changed their model and are going to have, you know, infill locations that are 50,000 square feet and just have, you know, five times the amount or whatever yeah. it is. And you could be stuck with a big box. I mean, we saw like the, um, what was it? The bean company, um, ranch style beans was yeah. building a plant here in Fort Worth. It was like 200,000 square feet, maybe a little bit bigger. This is several years ago. And then they had an E. coli break and breakout in one of their plants yep. in another part of the country. And then they changed their whole model and decided we are no longer going to have, you know, these type, you know, 200,000 square feet. We're going to have smaller plants and just have a lot more of them. And you could see that. I mean, in this potentially i think it's a long shot but yeah. you know i wouldn't want to be sitting with a million square foot single tenant building that one day all these you know a distribution or a supply chain model has changed and people realize okay well, we're not going to have it and you know that these health issues you know i mean having a million square feet depending if you have a lot of employees or whatever it is maybe that's a lot of risk that you yep. don't want to have in one facility yep um so again some of those things are far-fetched out but you just think about them and but a hundred thousand and less, there's always going to be demand for that space. Yep. You see most of the time when Amazon's dropping off a package, now it's coming from a Sprinter van, which obviously does, doesn't necessarily need a, a, a dock high door. It's usually roll up doors or some type of grade. Um, and they just ordered a hundred thousand more. Like, have you seen any signs of an upgrade in how, like you said, they might start taking smaller infill distribution uh rather than the big bulk yeah i mean i still think you know the product that's coming in so it's cases of water whatever it is and yeah. it, it's coming in and by the truckload and it's all the same product coming in yeah and so they're still gonna offload it but 
maybe the shipping changes, you know, more for the Amazon model where they have the Sprinter vans and they're taking, you know, because they're going on a certain area. You know, I haven't seen a lot of change. I mean, Amazon just leased a million square feet north Fort Worth. So it's not changing right now. Yeah. Um, But you never know. I mean, things change. And, you know, Amazon was leading. It's kind of leading the way in the e-commerce model. But things could change. Yeah, sure. Do you have any goals over the next five years for where you want to see Landcart? Is there, have you thought that far or just keep putting one step in front of the other? Well, I always have goals. I mean, in our team, you know, we want to grow, but grow smart and grow with the right people. And we want to continue, I mean, to dominate Fort Worth and then kind of go on beyond that and what that looks like. You know, I can't tell you exactly, yeah. um, but, but being smart, doing a great job hustling you know working hard for everyone we're doing um or working for and just continuing what we're doing um be honest with you yeah just one (laughs) step in front of the other yeah you were president of crew uh that's been a big deal to you i don't think you're president anymore uh why is crew important and why should more uh females in the industry be working or, or part of crew yeah, so crew is uh, commercial real estate women, and our goal is to um, to elevate women in the commercial real estate industry. Um, and to me, it's been incredibly important that I mean, we all need men in our life, and but there are things you know that women go through too, and having yeah. having mentors um, within that, and women who are supporting each other, and and putting out a hand to help raise up people. And, you know, for me, it was a great stepping stone and an organization I want to always continue to be involved in. But, you know, they trusted me with leadership roles early on. Yeah. And, and, you know, I learned how to, well, I'm not the best at it, but, you know, step out there, public speak and, and just kind of grow my leadership skills beyond just brokering and, and what I'm good at in a day to day but also, you know, honing in on some of the leadership skills. For sure. If people uh, listening to this want to reach you, how do they get in touch with you or Landcart Commercial? Yeah, so our website is at landcartcre.com. And my email is sarah at landcartcre.com. And my cell phone, which I always have on me, is 817-228-4247. So bring me your deals. I love it. (laughs) Sarah, thank you so much for spending time with me today. Absolutely. No, this was fun. Thank you, Chris. You bet. Hey, everyone. It's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Ford Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Ford Podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Ford Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.